Welcome to The Intuitive Customer, where we discuss how you can improve your customer experience and your bottom line by embracing behavioral economics. And now, here are your hosts, world-renowned thought leader on customer experience, Colin Shaw, and Professor Ryan Hamilton from Emory University. You do treat family and close friends a lot different, and if you're in business, then can you actually make those hard decisions? Relationships for a lot of organization actually means you give me all your business. <laughs> speaking to your customer in the language of the decision. Yeah. So your customers are speaking a certain cognitive language to themselves as they're making a decision. And if you're speaking a completely different language, you're going to rely on them to do the translation or they're just going to not do it. And so, it, you know, I, I think it's a, kind of a brilliant insight that when you're dealing with multiple groups within an organization, they may be speaking different decision languages. So, Colin, I want you to imagine that you are selling a used car. Okay. And uh, you've posted your notice and, and somebody calls you up and says, hey, I want to I buy that car from you. Yeah. Now, imagine to your surprise that the person who called you up and said, hey, I, I saw your notice is actually your brother. It's like, yeah, I didn't even know you were trying to sell this car. But uh, since you are, I'd, I'd like to buy it from you. I'd be really surprised because I don't have one, but that would be. Well, so no. that's the second part of this <laughs> I'm only story. Joking, right? is, I, uh, do, says, I do have a brother. Surprise, <laughs> I'm your brother that you didn't know you had, and I'd like to buy your car. <laughs> it's a big day for surprising news. <laughs> yes. No, I, I will have to tell my brother, Neil, in case he's listening to this, that it was only a joke. Oh, <laughs> Wow, uh, man, you know, that was commitment to the joke, willing to uh, <laughs> my brother. <laughs> a deep family rift, all in the name of humor. I got to tell you, Colin, I respect that. Yeah. I respect you. So your, your brother wants to buy your car. Yeah, yeah. Think through the process of selling your car to your brother and how that would be different from selling your car to a stranger who responded to the same ad. Right. Think of all the different things that, you know, would you haggle as hard if your brother came to you and said, well, you know, could you make this work for $500 less? Would you push back as hard to say, yeah, no, I'm holding the line? Sure. What if you sold the car and two days later, the transmission dropped and this person comes back to you, either your brother or the stranger and says, look, you know, it's going to cost X thousands of dollars to fix. Is there any way we could, you know, revisit that payment? What you're feeling here, and what I hope the listeners are also feeling, there's a big difference, right? If yep. you're selling to a family member, to a close other, versus if you're selling to a stranger. And this distinction between these two types of situations is something that psychologists have studied in the way people interact with each other in transactions. And then it's also started to be applied then also over to how people interact with firms. And the idea is that people have different types of relationships, different types of transactions that they can engage in. So one type might be characterized as more relational. So when you're selling something to your brother, you recognize that this is one point in a much longer relationship that you have to deal with. You know, you have to smooth over the fact that you disavowed 
being related to him on a podcast. <laughs> and that's going to have to be something you deal with. In the other case, this is more of a one-off transaction. You don't need to worry about the past or the future. You want to maximize your utility right now. It feels just like there's a different level of responsibility, doesn't there? Yeah. Because if you're selling a used car to anybody, then it is very different, actually. I mean, I've just thinking about when I have sold used cars. In fact, the last person I sold a used car to, the whole transaction was was very different to if you're giving it to a family member, you're going to tell them about all the little footballs because you yep. feel <laughs> totally responsible that if anything ever goes wrong, you know, and then in fact, every time you saw them, I'd be then worried that, you know, something's gone wrong with the car. And to a certain extent, I guess it goes back to that, that rule about not mixing business with pleasure, basically. And I think that's a really interesting thing for me. It does go back to you do treat family and close friends a lot different. And if you're in business, then can you actually make those hard decisions? Yeah, interesting. Yeah, and and this is where it starts to get interesting and complicated is that there are advantages and disadvantages to each of these different kind of relationship or transaction styles from a firm's perspective. So most firms that we engage with, we engage with them at a transactional level, right? You buy something for many brands or or many firms, this may be the only time you buy something from them. You're looking to maximize your utility out of the purchase. They're looking to maximize their profit out of the purchase. And then everybody walks away happy. And there's nothing wrong with that, right? I mean, it's it's this is set up in such a way that maybe you think, oh, well, everything should be relational. There's a lot of advantages to these transactional relationships. And, and you just pointed to some, right? I mean, sometimes your, your business can go under if you're treating too many people like family and not enough like customers. But there are also advantages going the other way as well. That's what I wanted us to talk about today is these different relational styles and the advantages and disadvantages of each for firms and for customers. Sure, that's good. How do organizations understand these different relations? So one way of of deciding what relationship style is most appropriate for you and your business is this point that you just raised, which is kind of the long-term nature of the interaction. So if this is particularly, if this is a, if you're selling something that requires customers to make a decision to go with you again and again, then a more relational perspective can help. You see this a lot play out in B2B organizations, right? Where you've got sales teams who form these long-term relationships with clients because they know that every quarter when they have to, you know, buy their new supplies for the, you know, the next three months, this is a fresh decision that they have to make. And they need to go back out and get bids and figure out what's going on. And this is an instance where that relational transaction perspective can help a lot. Let Beyond Philosophy help you discover what your customers really want, not what they say they want, by uncovering the hidden drivers of value in your customer experience to create real ROI. Contact Beyond Philosophy by going to beyondphilosophy.com slash contact. That's beyondphilosophy.com slash contact. So if I think about what's happened recently in our sort of industry you've got this new job title of customer success. Hmm, interesting. And so this is based upon effectively, you know, the subscription economy. 
which basically goes, if you've got subscribers, you want to keep them. Therefore, the the relationship is longer. Therefore, actually, let's employ somebody to make sure the customer is getting what they want and using the product. Because if clearly they stop using the product, then the next thing that's going to happen is they're going to cancel it. They're going to cancel the subscription. So, you know, if you think about that whole area of the subscription economy, by definition, that means much longer relationships. So the the length of the interaction is one of the factors that can drive this relational versus transactional perspective. But it's not alone because there are firms that, you know, you and I engage with and have for a long time that it's still very transactional. I hate to do this to you again. I feel like every time I bring this in as an example, you cringe and a part of our relationship dies a little bit. But when we talk about internet service providers. No. Uh, yeah. No. Sorry. If they weren't such lousy businesses, they wouldn't be such good examples. And I wouldn't have to keep turning back to that. You know, my internet service provider, I've probably used for seven or eight years now. Yeah. Would I consider myself in a relational, you know, transaction mode with them? No. If I could get an, an advantage on any dimension using any other provider, I would do it in a heartbeat. Sure. Right? I have no loyalty to these people and they have no loyalty to me, clearly. It's a purely transactional relationship. Uh, there are other firms that I, you know, buy from very, very seldom, yeah. but that I would still consider myself to be more of a, you know, I've only taken my family to Disney World once in the last 10 years, but that experience was sufficiently important to me that I consider myself to have a much more relational transaction perspective with Disney and the Disney Corporation because of it. I'm thinking of Axe providers. Uh, So interesting. When we talk about Axes, no, I don't have a relational, (laughs) very transactional. I'm very cutthroat. Probably the, not the right phrase to use in talking about access. <laughs> For the listeners that don't understand this joke, Ryan is, um, I'm trying to be careful with my words yeah, now. Yeah, I'm, I'm interested in how you're going to phrase this too. <laughs> Go ahead, Kyan. Yeah. Ryan collects axes, uses axes. I don't know what, what word should I use? I live on a large piece of property. We have a lot of trees that need felling and chopping up. So I own several axes and Colin thinks this is weird because <laughs> Listen, he's wrong. I was born why. in London. What do you expect? <laughs> Home of Jack the Ripper. I would think if anybody would be on board with this. Yeah. Well, yeah, but he didn't use an axe, I don't think. Anyway, uh, it's on good good sources. So what type of relationship do Jack the Ripper have with with his clientele? When we started this podcast, I hadn't predicted we would go this way in this conversation. <laughs> no, absolutely not. So, you know, we, we had a podcast a, a little while ago where we talked about trust. And one of the, you know, the small sides that we talked about in that podcast was the idea that trust is kind of a, a nice ethical, moral thing to use as a basis for your interactions. So it's just a good idea. But from a business perspective, you know, there are instances where it's more or less important to have trust as kind of a foundational component. I think that we can make a similar argument here. It it can be very kind of rosy and kumbaya for us to say, oh, well, everybody should strive for a relational transaction mode with their customers. You want to have that relation. I just, I don't think that's true. You know, I think that you as a business leader, you need to decide 
what are the advantages and disadvantages of each of these? And there are instances where it just it makes a lot more business sense to not strive for that relationship. It, there are also cases where, from a customer's perspective, it can feel creepy. I got a thank you card from an airline recently. Uh, I was flying and, and they like it was a handwritten thank you card that was delivered to me in flight, thanking me for being a member of their loyalty program. And I'm sure that that was intended to foster this relationship. And it didn't. It was creepy. I turned to my wife and I said, what? I don't get thank you cards from my family. Like, what is going on here? This is weird. <laughs> and so I think that there are these attempts. And I'm, I may be odd. It may be that other people really appreciate that and, and that it worked for them. But I will say that it did not work for me. So there are instances where firms, I think, push this relational perspective onto unwilling customers, and it can actually be to their detriment. Okay, Ryan, so usual question. Uh, what does this mean that we should be doing? Do you want to go first or do you want me to? Sure. I mean, so with the understanding that relational interactions are not the right solution for every firm, that you don't always want to do that, sometimes that is the best move. And you do want to have more of a relationship with your customers than just pure transactions. So what advice can we give people on how to do that? We've talked about how if you push too hard, it can be creepy. So you need to find that line where customers welcome forming that relationship with you without it seeming pushy or overbearing. So, you know, the, the best advice that we can give is to treat it like a human relationship. So what is it about other human beings that draw people towards them, that make them want to form relationships with them? What are the business or firm equivalents of that? Things like doing favors. Yep. When I see my interaction with a firm as being very tit for tat, very, you know, balancing the scales, very, I'm getting exactly what I got out of this. There's nothing wrong with that, but that's not a relational transaction. Sure. When there's some leeway there, when there's some, you know, some give and take, some, oh, you'll make this up to me later, that is a much more relational approach. And I think the issue for me is that relationships for a lot of organization actually means you give me all your business yeah. <laughs> uh, which clearly shouldn't be the case and i think just uh, for me just to reinforce your point not all businesses should be built on relationships everyone thinks that they should but actually you know they don't have to be built on on relationships they can be transactional so you do need to think about what is the best way of us handling in this marketplace? And like you just said, like a relational transaction means give and take. If you are viewing this from the, your firm's perspective as, oh, we can have this relationship with the customers and, and it's going to be completely one-sided, then you're not looking at this right. If you're going to pursue this relational transaction approach, that means you are going to be binding yourself right? We talked yeah. about how there's a danger in doing business with family because it leaves you with fewer options than you would necessarily have working with strangers. That's the approach you're choosing, right? There's going to be things that you're not going to be able to do anymore because you're pursuing this relationship instead of a transaction. So you need to go into that with your eyes open. 
And I think from a business perspective, and to be clear with people is, therefore, that means investment, that means money, that means spending time, because if you're not serious about it, and you are thinking about it, the relationship just means you give me all your, your business, people will quickly understand that that's not the case. And and Ryan, your bit of advice about, you know, treat it exactly like you would a human relationship. Therefore, you have to do things that are going to cost you money at the end of the day. But what you're gambling on is you're saying that actually because of this and us building this relationship in the long term, this will occur. In fact, let me give you an example which just popped into my mind, which I think potentially works here. When I used to work in telecoms, I was in the business arena, and we used to negotiate long contracts with clients. And typically what would happen is after three years of uh, them being signed up with you, the competition used to know that the contract was coming up for renewal. It would then go out for tendering, et cetera, et cetera. This is to buy telecom services. And the issue that we discovered was that we were never going to be the cheapest in the marketplace. So we actually had to build our offer and proposition is based upon this sort of relationship side. But one of the things that we found was an issue was that people didn't necessarily think that or didn't realize the benefit that they were gaining. So Mm -hmm. they would then make a price decision based upon us and somebody else. They would go with somebody else, and then they would come back to us and go, well, we didn't realize that you did all of these things because, you know, we're over and above, whereas part of the reason why these organizations could be cheaper is because they basically just kept to the letter of the law, et cetera. So we ended up writing down all the things that we did for a client in a contract that was over and above the transaction of the contract. So, you know, if they called us out after hours and it wasn't written down, we used to say, you know, and we would come out to see you and that would be in $100 or whatever else. But, you know, we're not charging you for it. That's Mm -hmm. the point. And that really had a profound effect on going forward in winning business because we were then articulating the value that we were providing for that relationship, whereas customers didn't really realize that before. So it's a bit about explaining what you're doing for customers. That is such an interesting example to me. And tell me if you agree with my kind of take on this, because I I think that what you guys might have been doing is turning a relational transaction from your perspective into more of a transactional interaction because that may have been where your customers were, right? So from your perspective, BT may have been treating this as a relationship, you know, like, hey, we're, we're giving you all this extra stuff and we know you appreciate it. And so you're going to come back to us because you value that. And that's kind of the, what we have. But it sounds like some of these firms may not have been wise enough to realize that that's what was going on. And so they were looking at this from a purely transactional perspective. And so you actually had to go through and kind of transactionalize that relationship because that's where the customer was. Yeah. So the problem is, is that, and this is where you start getting into the, just the way that organizations buy, because what are you selling? You're selling a telephone call. Mm -hmm. Okay. You know, the cost of a telephone call. And therefore, when you're looking at it from a purely transactional procurement standpoint, 
is how much is the cost of a telephone call with you and how much is the cost of a telephone call with you. And therefore, the danger is, is particularly in large organizations, what they want to do is they want to transactionalize things because then they know that they can play one off against the other. Yep. For organizations that provide a, a more premium service, it's a bit like flying, you know, that you've got your budget airlines where they break everything down to the nth degree. And then charge you for absolutely anything extra. And then charge you for everything, yeah. Or you've got the airlines, you know, that turn around and go, well, here's the cost of the flight. And now you're into compare the cost of the flight. Well, yeah, but they're charging you to bring on your bag and to book the seat and all those other things. And then the price comparison starts to be different. So what we were doing, you're exactly right, was we had a relationship the customer was trying to make it more transactional or, or the procurement part of the customer was trying to make mm-hmm. it more transactional. And we had to quantify all the other benefits that we gave to the customer free of charge. But yeah. if we didn't do it, then they wouldn't have realized. And, and what happened from a customer perspective is we had loads of customers that came back to us and said, oh, we didn't realize last time yeah, yeah. you did all this, 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 and this. And if only you had told us that, well, we wouldn't have gone with them in the first place, which was the sort of the lesson for us that said, actually, we've got to start thinking about it from that perspective. Well, it's such an interesting case study because my guess would be that from your from the provider side, you were in this relational mode. The customer side may have been more in a transactional mode, but pursuing that path of articulating all the transactional benefits may have converted a lot of those customers long-term into more of a relational, like, oh, well, now that I realize, now that I know what you've been doing for me, now I feel much more comfortable being kind of closer and looking at this transaction in a much different way. Yeah, I think actually when you think about it, because the companies that we were dealing with there were were large organizations themselves. Yeah. The issue is actually that within a company, you've got people that are into a relationship and you've got other people, procurement, that are into it transactionally. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess to a certain extent, it's where does the power lay? You know, who makes the final decision? But what we hadn't done prior to that was to recognize that we're dealing with both parties, basically, when I think about it now. You actually had to have two different messages. One was about the relationship. One was about the transaction because you got two different types of customers. And prior to us putting that place in, we, we hadn't been dealing well enough with the transactional part. I think that that's a great way to kind of wrap this up. One of the things that I talk to my students about is speaking to your customer in the language of the decision. Yeah. So your customers are speaking a certain cognitive language to themselves as they're making a decision. And if you're speaking a completely different language, you're going to rely on them to do the translation or they're just going to not do it. And so, you know, I I think it's it's kind of a brilliant insight that when you're dealing with multiple groups within an organization, they may be speaking different decision languages, you know, and you've got the some groups that are very relational and value that part of it and can kind of see the, the soft, squishy elements of what's going on that provides value. And other aspects of the organization, often procurement, often purchasing, are going to be speaking in a different language entirely. Are you speaking to them in the language that they understand? Or are you relying on somebody else to do that translation? 
And let's stop this podcast because you said that that was a brilliant insight from me. I did. I regret it already. In fact, I'm kind of hoping that we can fix that in post. Nope. That's it. This has been a brilliant insight for me, and we're now going to stop this and move on. Is there any way that that may have been actually my brilliant insight? (laughs) Yeah, I'm sure you'll have a word with the production people and uh, they'll change the names over. So anyway. No, I do like that a lot. I mean, and I, I think that it's so important. Like, do you know what your customer's mindset is? Do you know what their perspective is? And can you speak to them from the perspective of what's important and that applies very well to this relational transactional divide as it does to almost anything else. So after that brilliant in- insight from Colin Shaw. <laughs> <laughs> Trademarked. <laughs> That's the end of this podcast. Thanks very much for everybody. If people think that these podcasts provide brilliant insights, then please go on and uh, just review us from wherever you get your podcast from. Those things are important to us and hopefully start spreading the, the brilliant insights further down the field. Now, maybe I just meant brilliant in like the British sense of like moderately good. (laughs) Yeah, thanks a lot. We'll have to work on it. (laughs) Thanks, everybody. This has been the Intuitive Customer with Colin Shaw and Professor Ryan Hamilton. But it doesn't end here. Just go to beyondphilosophy.com slash podcast to find all of our shows, access free tools and resources, and subscribe, won't you? That way you'll never miss a show. That's beyondphilosophy.com slash podcast. And we'll talk with you next time on The Intuitive Customer.